0: Just to launch this conversation. This is our playground.
1: They have spontaneous conversations. They don't play in this.
0: I mean, there's actually
1: something sort of spiritual about that. What's he do? He's a human being.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm a sexist feminist. We should be friends. (laughs) And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters around the world. I'm like, I'm so tickled pink (laughs) for so many reasons tonight. (laughs) So excited. So excited to be back in the studio. I've missed you guys. Hi, Robbie Kay. Hey, what's up, Callie?
1: We, we missed you in the studio, and I was like, Callie, you're going to be in the studio. I don't care what happens in your life. You <laughs> will be in the studio tonight. Yes. So it's so good to see you. We got Sam on the board. We got Patrick, the intern here. We're ready for a show.
0: Yeah. So welcome to the latest edition of the Robin Callie Show here on talkradio.nyc. Talk and as I say, NYC, we hear sirens outside in New York City just for a little soundtrack.
1: If you forgot we were in New York City and broadcasting (laughs) from here, there's a reminder.
0: Yeah, exactly. So number one, happy spring. We're not going to schmooze as much tonight because we're just too excited to have our guests speak.
1: That's right. right? But Happy spring to everybody.
0: Happy spring to everybody. I feel good. I'm excited. It's beautiful out. I'm on day nine. I know my sister's listening who I have to thank for this cleanse that I'm doing. I'm on day nine of 14 of a obviously two week cleanse. I'm feeling very righteous and very Mm. pure. And ready for new seeds to be planted. How's Is that, that why
1: you're levitating above the a chair little bit, a little? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what was going on with you with your witchy I mean. ways.
0: <laughs> I'm in high vibration tonight. Actually, I was thinking as we, um, before I introduce our guests, that, you know, in our own March madness here on the show, that we have um, very, we've had the gift and will continue through the month of March at least yeah. to have um, vibrationally high guests.
1: Yes. Right? I was thinking
0: about that on the way over here, don't you think?
1: Yeah. It's like adding to the vibe of our show, the vibe of talkradio.myc. It sort of coincides with the relaunch of the website Mm -hmm. and lots of changes going on around here. So it's Mm -hmm. really exciting.
0: Yeah. We've got some good stuff going. Yep. So um, before we introduce our guest, um, I just wanted to welcome our listeners around the globe. We have Bogota, Colombia listening, Germany korea manchester new hampshire new jersey tampa new york city and the UK. Sorry, I don't have the um, cities for some of those countries, but we welcome all of you, and we're always grateful for your support. So thank you for that. Number one. Yeah, right?
2: thanks
1: everybody for listening.
0: So should we just get to it because we can't Let's really help ourselves. Get to our works. guest. So. We are so excited
1: about him being on our show.
0: We have like seatbelts on. No pressure to our guest who's uh, who's listening right now. Um, so tonight I'm so happy to say that we have Don Miguel Ruiz Senior um, Junior. I'm sorry as our guest. Um, he's a he is a shaman in the tultric tradition he's an author of several books including the mastery of self and the five levels of attachment he also hosts a weekly radio show called the way of the desert and his latest book contains in-depth teachings from his father um, Don Miguel Ruiz senior who you may know as the author of the four agreements Um, and this current book is entitled Don Miguel Ruiz's little book of wisdom the essential teachings how's that for an introduction Miguel welcome
3: Hi, Kelly, Thank you so much for having me. Hello, Rob. How are you? What's
1: up, Miguel? (laughs) Welcome to the show. Bienvenidos.
3: (laughs) Muchas gracias. It's it's an honor to be on the show. Thank you. Hello from Reno, Nevada.
0: Oh, you're in Reno. What's happening in Reno tonight?
3: I'm watching watching it snow. Well, I, I, I I, I live in the west part, so I get to see the sun down the valley, and I get to see the snow up in the hill, so I'm somewhere in the middle between the two.
0: Ah, really nice. I've spent, well, we won't digress too much because we we really are about you tonight. But, um, you know, I've long been a Burning Man um, participant in the earlier days. And so Reno is the hub, you know, from which people launch out into the desert. And if I had known that you lived there back then, I totally would have come and knocked on your door because I can never get enough of the Ruiz family in any oh, form. Thanks. So
3: <laughs> just saying. That's a nice thing. I, I, I haven't been to Burning Man, but all my old roommates used to go all the time. Yeah. Like, I used to live in Berkeley and Oakland mm-hmm. back in the old days. Like I remember all the stories. And I, I, never, I went to New, new Moonies. That I went for the, those parties, but I didn't go to Burning Man. But every, every, uh, every at the end of summer we we see the whole crowd go as, as, as this, you know, becomes very colorful, very beautiful. And it's definitely left a mark in here in the city. Yeah,
0: yeah, interesting. It's definitely an interesting place. It's got yeah. a lot of layers to it.
1: It sounds like you kind of experience Burning Man secondhand, like passing it down the way your teachings are being passed down.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I have so many friends who tell me all the stories of the playa. And uh, it, it, sounds, it sounds like a wonderful time.
0: <laughs> well, as as if I weren't smiling enough just in anticipation of having you as our guest tonight, now I'm triply smiling because Burning Man's just such a special thing. So I wasn't expecting, you know, expecting to talk to you about that tonight. So that's a nice little full circle there.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I remember, you know, the stories of the place, and it was, it's, it's always a place, you know, back especially back in the day. From what I heard, it was mm-hmm. all about community and and just. Little by little, as it grew, as it grew, new, new aspects of it changed and, and morphed. And it's a, uh, it's a spectacular thing to watch how it, something evolves. So it's beautiful. You know, every, every message does that.
0: It's true. And and that's a really beautiful segue into you because it really, you know, that was the one thing that I connected with so much in the years that I did have that experience is the sense of tribe. And the, um, the I, I always felt like there was a really intense energetic vortex there. I experienced Really beautiful sense of communion and serendipity in ways that I I didn't in most other places that I've been to, um, mm-hmm. you know. So in some ways, I mean, even what we're going to talk about tonight, just in terms of you and your family legacy and just the mm-hmm. lessons that you can help um, you know bestow upon people, um, it it kind of there's there is a little bit of a connection there because at least the intention is is similar, isn't it?
3: Well, yeah, it's 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 a place where well community is is. Uh, Comes from the desire to be together that's really be it family both uh by blood or by friends by love you know it's, it's this thing that we look for a place and time to give each other time to spend with one another and as time progresses it evolves new things morph and bring are introduced because you know problems arise and we have the desire to uh, address it and correct it and up with solutions that allows us to coexist with one another it's it's the it's the element of community it's the element of family it's it's the element of love you know it's, we 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 come together to to any city not just burning man or the total tradition uh we move from city to city and we become a part of our neighborhood we become friends you know like we just moved from the last city we lived in rockland and all our friends there felt like family And when we left left it felt like a huge, we left behind a community that we built for the last six years. We moved to Reno and all of a sudden we have friends and family that we meet here. My dad moves next door and he's there and I when it snows I'm watching him walking over in the snow mm-hmm. and it's so nice and it's it's you know, it it reminds me of what it's all about, which is the harmony that exists between us and the choice we have to live in that harmony. Because it's easy to live in disharmony. That, that can all, always be there, but it's a choice to live within the harmony of respect. And to me, that's it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And who couldn't use a reminder about that every day, especially with what's going on in the States, you know, and even in the world. You know, we can always use a reminder about respecting each other and kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Miguel, when I was looking at your book and I was reading some stuff about the Toltec traditions and the teachings, I was very interested in the fact that Toltec means artist, Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how something that we talk about on the show sometimes is about colorizing your life. Or if your thinking is getting very black and white, colorize your thinking. And so it seemed to me that that sort of colorization goes into some of the Toltec Toltec teachings. So Mm -hmm. what I'm curious about, maybe you can talk about what does it mean to be a Toltec?
3: Well, sure. Well, the word Toltec is a Nahuatl word, Tolteca, a Nahuatl word that means artist in English. If I translate the phrase, the Totec art of transformation into 100% English, it means the artist path of transformation. I am an artist, and the canvas for my work of art is my life. And the instruments I use to create that work of art is this body, it's this mind, and it's my yes and my no, my will, by which I construct it. So imagine a painting that evolves and morphs with every uh, brushstroke, with every movement of, of color, it changes, you know, it, 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 like like you were saying, nothing really is black and white, because with 7.5 billion human beings living life at this particular moment in time, we have a huge spectrum of perception and interpretation of life, that in and of itself, the idea of black and white, it's something almost chaotic, because it would go against the grain of seven point five billion people living life the best they can with what they've got it's just in that sense it's beautiful it's just as it's as as, it's as diverse as the image that I'm seeing but I see the desert and in the and in the in the fall uh, far away part of what I, of the valley that I'm in I look to the right and I see the snow capped mountains. And I can turn I open the windows, and I can, I can smell the flowers, and I can smell the the snow coming down from the from the sierras. Our, our culture is, and our civilizations are just as diverse. You know, you're you're in you're in one of the cities that has that spectrum shown. You know, at every moment of the day, and every throughout the season, you, you you go through Manhattan, you go through all the boroughs, and you can smell the different uh, aromas of all the cultures that come together to create this great community, and it's beautiful. So, yeah. to me, the Toltec is to live life and enjoy life, being ourselves, be enjoying being alive. By enjoying being ourselves, with our, which allows us to enjoy living life with the people in our lives that we love, that we in our life that we engage. To me, that's that's the beauty of the, of the co-creation that is us.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: So I, <clears throat> part of me, so I know that um, you know in your early. Tw- I'm curious when you first knew that you were an artist. You know, certainly you grew up between um, being an apprentice to your grandmother and then to your father you grew up with this influence around you, but was there a moment that you knew that you could actually paint your own sort of life story? You know, I know that your dad, I guess it was probably in your early 20s, where your dad said, you know, go out into the world and master death by becoming alive. You know, what in, in, at what moment did you know what alive meant and what being an artist meant?
3: Oh, sure. Well, in my, my mid-20s, my father said that to me uh, at the apex of a journey. I, you know, when I graduated college, the bubble burst Mm. and we're no longer working for grades. We're working for creating something, and it changes. So for me, when I was younger, this tradition, what my grandmother taught me, what my father taught me, belonged in a museum, belonged in a textbook. What does that have to do with my life? You know, I, I paid attention to the, my apprenticeship with my grandmother because I loved her, and it meant, and I loved my father, and I understood the concepts, and I, I, I understood the ideas, And like any young person who sees education, it's really hard for us to imagine how does that revolve around our life. At that moment, all we care about is music, relationships, and having fun. And then life happens. Life, you know, graduation from college, the end of a significant relationship, the consequences of our own actions. And all of a sudden, the idea you become fully aware that pretending to be something you're not has the most horrible consequence of mm-hmm. not being able to enjoy who we are, and I say the word horrible just because at the moment that's the word I'm, I, I I can grab to describe it, but it doesn't feel comfortable at all. So for me, when I became aware that it wasn't comfortable to pretend or to let my ego dictate my relationships or, or my attachments to control my choices, then I became aware that when I'm trying to live life through someone else's point of view, it's downright uncomfortable it it feels well not so good i guess i'm sad it's just depressing or you know you you're you we're we're reacting more than taking action and yeah. When you become aware of that, you realize that you have a choice either to continue with that belief or you let it go. And for me, a lot of this tradition is allows us to heal from the wounds that conditional love left in our life. Yeah. And it becomes that moment, that pivotal moment is when I become an artist, is when I give myself time to heal. I give myself time to heal from my relationships, giving time to myself to heal from the wounds of pretending to be something I am not. And that that goes from fashion to culture to music, even this tradition which I used and corrupted in my own unique way when I was younger. And letting go of that little by little is basically, it's not about learning how to be me, it's about unlearning all these things that kept me from being mm. me. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. And just to let you know, so you don't feel bad, I think we all were a little corrupted in our youth and outgrew it and and healed so so that we could really be who we truly are. So we're going to go to break. So we'll be right back with Don Miguel Reeves Jr.
0: Welcome back to the Rob and Callie show here live on talkradio.nyc. And we are so pleased and excited to have our guest tonight, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. I'm sorry, Miguel, that I flubbed earlier and somehow "senior" started to come out of my mouth. I don't know why. My apologies. I I think I was was a little excited and a little nervous, frankly. So sorry for that. (laughs) Um, so before the break, we were talking about, um, I think it was a really nice segue into, we're starting to talk about just the, um, the constructs, and is I think the word that you often use is kind of the indoctrination that happens as we're growing up, right, between our family, our religion, our schools, society, just all the different influences. And so I'd love to hear more from you of when you first started learning what um, different attachments meant, you know, the ones that, um, and, and how they start to pollute us, for lack of a better word.
3: Well, sure. In, in, in my tradition, you know, we talk about domestication uh, from the movie, sorry, from the book, The Four Agreements. You know, the main problem that the book addresses is domestication, which is a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual. If we live up to the expectation, we get the reward, and if we don't live up to the expectation, we get the punishment. And since part of our perception is to experience the plethora or the spectrum of the full emotion emotional range of our emotional body that uh, that reward feels like acceptance which feels like love and the punishment feels like rejection and the lack thereof of love it's the way we've learned to love ourselves conditionally you can say that's you know conditioning or programming it's it's that's the problem we've learned and it's the way we've begin to forsake ourselves for the Mm -hmm. for the need for the point of view of acceptance of someone else you Mm -hmm. know how to be cool with our friends how to be the right boy or girl in a mother and father's eyes or the 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 achiever or the bohemian you know i I know Mm -hmm. friends who try to live up to the image of the bohemian because they don't want to look like a sellout so or or a wannabe Mm -hmm. you know one of the worst things you can call a bohemian is a wannabe and even there you can see the domestication and corruption of pretending to be something we are not just for the sake of love, of conditional love. And we, we simplify it simply in that way because, you know, with 7.5 billion people, it, it, it's, uh, it's as complicated as the number may be in, in the different directions. But the common ground is simply that we have a need or we have a desire or, or, or we enjoy being part of a bond of a community or of our, our relationships, the way we talked about at the beginning of the show. And in that, when we begin to love ourselves conditionally, we lose ourselves. We lose our personal freedom. We, we let a belief control what we say yes and no to. We say no, we want to say yes, and we say yes, we want to say no. and that indoctrination like you mentioned at the beginning of this of this segment is a consequence of our unhappiness uh, of our we 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 are no longer painting our own work of art we're painting someone else's work of art so we have this moment this realization this moment of clarity similar to that of a uh, alcoholic or drug addict that becomes aware that they bec- of the truth of how what we've constructed what we've created and at that moment we have a choice to either, to either continue with that indoctrination or we begin to let go. You can say yeah. that a moment of clarity mm-hmm. without any action is just a thought that passes in the wind. Mm-hmm. But a moment of clarity followed by action becomes a pivotal moment in our life. Yeah. It's that moment of action where we, we begin to heal, we begin to find our freedom, but more importantly, we begin to live our life from our own unique point of view.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, <clears throat> excuse me, Callie and I started a new series this year with some guests, where it's a Talk as Cheap series, mm-hmm. and it's about people taking actions in their life whether it's for healing or whether it's to for advocacy or just to get involved in the world or mainly get involved in their own lives so that's such a reminder
0: and often just one uh, one more point um which is uh i think to what miguel just said too is that it's 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 about dismantling it's almost like i used to think of it as an analogy where there's a sculpture waiting inside a big chunk of clay that just has to be chiseled almost unlearned you have to keep chiseling away the layers to find yourself again or dismantle your life or have some crisis happen in order to get real and find the truth again it's amazing how far astray we can get based on all of these and it's usually
3: that crisis or you know, that uh, leads us to become real it's, it's something that you know it it's the moment where we say enough. I'm I'm tired of this. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of feeling like this. I'm tired of that anger. But it reminds me of a question someone asked me once. When did we lose sight of our authentic self? Mm-hmm. And the answer that I, I gave, and I'm still giving to this day, is we, we lost our sight of our authentic self the moment we preferred the illusion or the lie over the truth. Yes. Yeah. And the reason why we prefer the illusion or the lie over the truth is because it's what we know is what we're used to. How else will I know that I'm worthy of love? How else do I know that I'm special? How else would I know that I'm worthy of whatever? Yeah. It's it's we're used to it, you know, we're used to that kind of reward and castigation. Yeah. But when we become aware of it and we say enough you know, like an alcoholic, a drug addict, that that's the thing that helps recovery that they have a moment where enough i'm I'm done with this it's in that crisis in that crisis when you become aware that th- feeling like this is just not worth it anymore yeah and yeah. we try to look for ourselves all over again but everything we touch to help us we corrupt you know for example with the four agreements with a, uh, the the pivot, a seminal work that my father created you know it's easy to corrupt the four agreements and turn it into the four conditions of my first personal freedom. For If I judge myself for taking things personal, if I judge myself mm-hmm. for making an assumption, if I judge myself for not being impeccable with my word or not doing my best, then welcome to the club. I are using yeah. the four agreements <laughs> right. and domesticate ourselves. Totally We've, uh, we, all these beautiful traditions have been created for us to let go of conditional love, to let go of that indoctrination or domestication and embrace unconditional love, embrace our personal freedom, but we're so attached to it that we corrupt every single one of them. And you see that war happening throughout the, the world of corrupting Christianity or Islam or Buddha or Siddhartha or AA psychology. I, I, I One time I watched a, a documentary or an interview where two people who went through recovery, one using a 12-step system, the other one using a to- totally different one, they both saying my way is best, And they got to an argument, and the other one was willing to sacrifice the other person's sobriety Mm. just so they could be right. Wow! And when we get so attached to that, because if if we're right, we get the reward. And this other person was in tears, trying desperately to hold on to the belief that allowed this gentleman to become sober, but because the battle was so intense, The other person couldn't see it. He couldn't see what was happening in front of us. Yeah. So when we become aware that that's what we're doing with the four agreements in this case, then we have a moment of, like, do I continue to use these instruments that are geared to informing my choice and helping me find my personal freedom, or do I continue to use them just as any other instrument of domestication and corrupt them? Right. So it's all about awareness, the awareness of self and how we use our own intent. Do we use our intent to continue our own mental slavery, or do we use it to liberate ourselves from that mental slavery?
1: Yeah. So, Miguel, going back to your path, when it sort of began for you, your father learned the Toltec tradition from his mother, your grandmother— and then eventually, did you feel pressure to follow on that path and be a teacher yourself? Or did you feel like you wanted to do something else? Or did did you maybe not know and then you realized that you wanted to pass on these teachings as well?
3: Yeah, we're curious oh, about yeah. you yeah, I de- definitely rebelled. And I definitely felt the pressure. But the funny part is that the pressure came strongest from the people outside, you know, the people who were attached to the family. I felt the pressure more from them. For my father... I felt his pressure when I was younger, and then it stopped, you know, because being the eldest of the Ruiz brothers, of my dad, <laughs> me and, my brothers, and, and, and Leo, yeah, I'm the one who got to witness the evolution of my father. I, I got to witness Dr. Miguel Ruiz. I remember him very well, and he was quite strict and very demanding. Then I remember the, the apprentice who let go of the medical profession and was between the two of license fair type of parenting to that, that that disciplinarian. Then he became the shaman and it became more of a license fair slash let's see where this is going to Don Miguel Ruiz, which now he guides me and sets up situations for me to figure out. All right, here's the problem. Figure it out. Mm. The parenting skills changed and with it, the pressure from my family was reduced so from that point of view the person who was putting more pressure on was myself I yeah. definitely put mm-hmm. pressure on and then I let go of that when my rebellion ended and, and the rebellion ended when I saw it for myself like it it, make, it became something that I was able to put in my own words because it was now relevant in my life before that, I was working in the film industry. I worked in film. I studied film in college and uh, film and video production, as well as theaters. So I, I was definitely in, in the artist's path, in, the, in in that kind of sense of the word. And I enjoyed working in the film industry. Then one day, I asked myself, well, what do I want my 30s to look like? Because in my late 20s, I already saw that I was going to continue living a life where every project I was in was going to be my last. That's the That's the thing of working in the the art industry that every gig you get may be your potential last and you'll never know when you get another thing. So do I want to continue living life like that or what do I want my 30s to look like? And I saw myself as a father, as a husband, and I wanted to be that kind of father that was there. Mm -hmm. So I let go of the film industry and I began to... Well, I tried real estate and I hated it. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> 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 that was it. That, that's just what but, Miguel. Uh, gosh. But I learned. I liked looking at houses. So that's nice. But <laughs> <laughs> at that point, around that point, I became aware that my father's teachings, my grandmother's teachings, had a relevancy in my life, in the form of relationships, in the form of life experiences. And all of a sudden, I started teaching with my father. And not repeating like a parakeet what they were saying. Mm-hmm. I was I was expressing what I had learned. Yeah. You know, when when I first started teaching, almost like a cover band, covering the hits. You know, the four, Mastery of Love <laughs> and the Four Agreements. But
2: wow.
3: little by little, I began to find my own voice, and my own voice came from my own experiences with my relationships, with my work, with my creativity, finding a way to use what I learned in the film industry and, and theater. And, and photography to find a way to describe my Tota tradition. Mm. And here I am, and, and I talk from that point of view. And, my, and my, when, I, when I talk about it, it's not very spiritual in, in that sense of the word, when, where I'm not talking about spirits or those old ancient symbols. I describe how those symbols relate to our everyday life, because we don't live in an iso- isolated in a monastery or an ashram or
2: mm-hmm. isolated
3: in a hill. We live in a community, and as part of a community, the work that I enjoy is figuring out a way that we, we can work together, and that's what I teach. That's what I share, and that's, you can say that was the aha, aha moment that led me to teach the way I am now.
0: So it, it's a it's a great lesson to everybody. Before we're going to go to break, um, it's a great lesson to everybody that even the healer needs to heal, right? So um, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to dig a little bit more into um, perception and projection with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. We'll be right back.
1: Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Rob and Callie Show tonight. Our guest is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. And Miguel, I just had to, to to comment and talk about your your real estate career that never really got off the ground. I was just picturing you like at an open house with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. And, and and you're like you're talking to clients and you're like, oh, you're not interested in a three bedroom. Well, how about would you like to talk about the four agreements?
0: Right, shaman shamanistic real estate. I like it.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: well, I was I was going with that because my uncle was a realtor and my my stepmom she's also a realtor. So I I, I remember going with them and looking at houses. You know, I remember especially with my, Mama Gaia, and I, I remember that whole thing. And I just remember the fun part of going into houses and all that. I took the real estate courses. I I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed learning all about that whole thing. But then when I started teaching, oh, I was right. So when I started when I started. The whole thing and got to a company. It was the first time I ever was in a cubicle, and they put me in a cubicle. Right. Oh boy! And oh. I didn't like it. You know, the, <laughs> the, the the there was, I guess I don't know. There's different coaches. You know, sometimes you you're you're lucky. Like if you had a coach that's like my my mama Gaia or my uncle, that might have been great. Mm. I might have had a totally different perception. Mm. But I saw in the training of the particular place where I was. You know, we talk about domestication. You know, you create a system of reward and punishment. Well, the particular coach that I had talked a lot about creating, he says, put up all these things that you want to achieve and that now chase it, which went completely against the grain of what I, ta- I learned because now I'm trying to chase an elusive carrot. And after that, it was hard for me to look at it any other way. I, I was like, also I'm realizing, one, is my passion here? The answer is no. Do I like looking at homes? Yes, I do. I, I like looking at homes. Is Am I going to talk to people with an ulterior mo- motive? No, I didn't like that. Then it was all about trying to live up to this image. And, and, and al- almost this whole this whole lesson of domestication really became clear to me during those training sessions Mm -hmm. as you know, the talk about programming and trying to live, uh, creating this thing that's going to motivate you to sell, 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 what this, what, and also, it wasn't about even houses. It wasn't even about houses anymore. It was all about get the product out, get the product out, get the product out. And, when that happened, all, all, any interest I might have had on it went away. It just, if anything, it it made clear that my, my grandmother's teachings about trying to live up to be something you're not, and I wasn't. You know, because I, I look at my uncle and I look at my, my Mama Gaia, and they're realtors, and they've been realtors for many, many years, and they have a passion about it. And the way they deal with their clients, they, they don't, they engage him. They walk through them, and they say, "Well, this house is, has this problem. This house has, doesn't have this problem." And there's that that, enjoy, that joy that you get that I see in them, which I didn't have. I didn't have that. But the lesson uh, of of that elusive carrot that you try to chase over and over. My, my, my teachings with my family made that really clear what that was
2: mm. and
3: to me i wasn't really ready to let go of my passions of expressing myself or creating yeah. i wanted to continue doing that so you can say that at that point i looked at myself just the way in the same way that i asked "What do i want my 30s to look like well what's the what do i want to do what's the point of all this Toltec work, for example, because I could easily get into it in the same way that that that, that coach taught me or, w- or tried to teach me. What is the, what's the motivation? What's the jewel of what I give? And as time progressed, not necessarily quick when and when I was that young, in my 28, 27 years old when this was happening, the whole point of this work and the total tradition is to enjoy life.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: That's, that's the point. But in order to do that, you have to heal yourself or you want to heal. Yes, That's the difference, you see. There's a difference between I have to and I want mm-hmm.
2: to. That mm-hmm.
3: I have to, you can see domestication all over it. It's like this, this obsession trying to reach this illusion that doesn't exist. I want to. It's all about passion. And it's all about realizing that the beginning point is me. I'm the beginning point mm-hmm. from everything I create. From that point of view, the, for me, this Toltec work is to help people heal from the wounds that conditional love left in their life, because that's what it did for me. For me, it helped me heal my own wounds, even though I, was, I grew up in a family of Toltecs or shamans. I still went through it. I still went through the domestication. I still went through conditional love, and I carried the weight of those things. So eventually, I stopped talking the talk, and I walked the walk. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I, I, I began to take care of myself, and that's what I share. Yeah. So from that point of view, I wasn't choosy, chasing an elusive carrot. I was eating the carrot. And little
1: by little <laughs> carrot. Nice, yeah. Uh, that is so great.
0: So so do you because what you're talking about really I mean, if you if you really boil it down and this is oversimplification of so much of what um you and your family have covered in a lot of your teachings and, and um books and events, is the idea, um, like you're saying now, it's the head versus heart or the shoulds versus wants you know however whatever word you want to use and it seems like it pervades modern society on so many different levels whether it's finding your passion and your bliss in terms of your career or whether it's having and I'm um, holding the space for honest relationships versus the ones that aren't so honest so my question to you for our listeners in terms of like some applicable um, uh, you know uh, suggestions or advice would um, would be to you Um, How do people get to their truth if your brain is so clouded and you're so busy functioning and walking inside that hamster's wheel just to make everything workable with all the movable parts of your life? How do you get quiet and just find the truth either for yourself or for your relationships with your loved ones?
3: Boy, to me, it's by beginning to respect your emotions. This is how I feel. Our emotions are real. What triggers them may not be real. You know, I I often refer to our emotional body like a car alarm. Whenever someone touches a car, the alarm goes off. Well, whenever we have an emotional reaction, the emotion is real. What may trigger that may not be real. We, we, yes, we live in a time where we're chasing elusive carrots. You know, you can say that this is the whole rat race type of thing
2: mm-hmm.
3: that, that is elusive. But in order to find what we love to do, you know, we have to have... Well, sorry, that's the word, have to. <laughs> I want to break away from living someone else's life. You know, because part of domestication is living someone else's point of view of what success looks like. And success looks differently from, for all of us. You know, and you could say that that's the natural thing, and that's a good thing. You know, you could say that people domesticate us because they love us. It's conditional love, but they love us. They want the best for us they want us to survive they want us to come ahead and sometimes when you motivate someone and teach them that what motivates you will will allow them to survive and usually that's trying to give teach someone through obsession to obsess over being worthy of love because you know in in buddhism you talk about detaching from material things Mm -hmm. but let's look at that from the point of view of compassion Material things, if you're material, it's because you believe that he or she who dies with the most toys wins. It means that if you want to be worthy of love, you have to have the material. You have to have the money. You have to have that luxury. Otherwise, you're not worthy of love. You're not worthy of respect. And there's the punishment. So if you grew up with that mentality that materialism is the way to find love, then, of course, you're going to be materialistic because that's what you know. But when, but then you become aware when it doesn't when it doesn't make you happy and usually someone who is obsessed and they tried for that riches and sometimes they get it and they find it still empty because they were chasing someone else's dream, they were chasing someone else's illusion. And usually it comes from someone who loves us because they want us to live, they want us to be fed, they want us to be sheltered and sometimes the biggest palace makes, may, may, may look like the safest place, but it becomes the biggest uh, or the golden jail. So success looks different for all of us. And that is to have the courage to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what do we want? What do we want out of life? It's easy to follow someone else's path because it's easy to, when it doesn't work to blame them. Mm-hmm. But for ourselves, what? What do I want out of life? What do I want to create? You know, one of the things that domestication does is that it makes us doubt our own capacity to say yes and no, because we're afraid of the mistake. We're afraid of failing, because what's going to happen to me if I fail? What's going to happen to me if I make the mistake? Well, then I might lose respect. I might lose faith. I might lose my cred. I have to protect it. And then from there, you can see the slippery slope already happening. So what happens if you lose that fear? What happens if all of a sudden you're not afraid to lose, and realize that the biggest problem wasn't necessarily the fear of losing, but the fear of taking action? Yeah. Because sometimes mm-hmm. all you need to to have success is to take an action. You know, part of the whole getting a job is showing up. You know, I, I had a I had a teacher once taught teach me that. The key to enlightenment is effort. That's it. That's the key to enlightenment, effort. The effort to use the energy that animates this body, to animate my legs, my arms, is the same energy I use to create a thought. And at the root of every belief I have, there's a yes. So that effort is to manifest something. Then let me add my own lessons to that, my own experiences, which is discipline is remembering to apply that effort every day. That's what discipline is. Mm-hmm. Remembering to apply that effort and following through in that effort, well, that's success. Yeah. Success is creating something we want to do. So the question is if I'm going to be living my life, am I going to use the mold that someone created for me, or will I be willing to go beyond the boundaries that my self doubt has created? or that I, or the self-doubt that I learned, to go beyond that and see what I can do to, have, to regain confidence to say yes to the things I want to say yes to and no to the things I want to say no to. And sometimes it will be a mistake. Sometimes I will fail. But one of the biggest life lessons that one acquires when this happens is that we gain the confidence to stand back up. Yeah. That we can stand up when we fail. Because when we stand up, now we learn that lesson. All right, what else can I do? For me, in my life, in a practical way, I enjoy running. And, and one of the reasons why I enjoy running. I, I run. Four years ago, I could barely run a mile or two. Now I'm, I'm I'm I've ran three marathons and I'm getting ready for a fourth one.
2: Mm. Wow. That's great. Impressive. One of the things I
3: love about that is that I cross thresholds that my mind says I couldn't cross, and I enjoy proving my mind wrong, or I enjoy proving myself doubt wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. not
0: doing it hurts more than doing it.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I just love how you talk so much about doing what you want. And I want to do a lot of things in life. And one of the things I want to do is continue this conversation when we come right back from break. We'll be right
3: back. That's an awesome segue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Gracias, hermano. That, that takes time. <laughs> You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. <laughs>
0: show here live on talkradio.nyc our guest tonight the esteemed don miguel ruiz jr and um, this is also the fastest hour of Rob and my life yeah. we, we just need to say that it's right now like oh my by. goodness oh. gracious it's
3: uh, been 45 minutes and it flew by 45 I know, I know. even it's faster incredible. for
0: us probably well I'm glad for you but definitely yeah. for us um, so Miguel we wanted to devote some time to your latest book um, Don Miguel Ruiz's Little Book of Wisdom sure and um, I'd love to hear more about it one of the questions I, well first of all I know it's, it's, it's a gathering of teachings and you um, from yep from your dad. And um, I know that you um you guys work together on this um, from his lectures, events, um teachings, etc. But I'm curious what I- is it, can you um can you name the most important thing that you ever learned from your
3: dad? Love. Mm. That's really it. Okay. Mm-hmm. It. Like, uh, it reminds me like uh, I w- my little girl asked me this question: What was the greatest gift that my father ever gave me? It was, it's funny how that it, 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 your question echoes her question that she asked me a few months some some time ago. Uh-huh. And my first answer to her was, "Oh, he gave me clothing and and shelter and 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 security." You know, the, the father answer. But then, as I, I I noticed that I was answering that way, I said, "Well, the biggest lesson he gave he ever gave me was love." His Capacity to enjoy life and to and to give what he has, which is love for himself, which allows him to love other people. You know, he loved me. That's the biggest lesson. He he gave me time to develop. He gave me time to be his patience. Mon <laughs> Dieu, his patience is is key. So it's it's. It's been interesting watching my father's evolution of teaching over the over the past decades. And he started teaching in 1986. And I remember when I was young, he used to pay me to go to his classes, and then he stopped. <laughs> <laughs> the attention. but um, the evolution, allowing the lesson to evolve. And as soon as people got stuck in one, he changed everything. He he always changed it. So, if if anything, the confidence in yourself to say the things that are relevant in your life. When we teach, only talk about what you know. Don't talk about what you don't know. If you don't know it, don't touch it. Even if you halfway know it, don't touch it. Talk about what you know, because when you talk about that, it leads you to those parts that you don't know. It leads you to that. Everything we don't know in life comes from walking and taking a step forward taking a one step two step three step four every step brings you to a new place in life so it's like i usually like the the analogy that if you read the four agreements like a cookbook if you read a cookbook but never apply them the, the recipes you'll never know what that meal will taste like the only way to know is to, to apply that recipe little but if you succeed the first time great If you didn't succeed the first time, great. At least now you have the experience, and practice makes the master. Eventually you start adding ingredients, subtracting ingredients, changing the temperature to make it fit your preference. And I say preference because you're now making that recipe fit your senses of yourself. Mm -hmm. What makes it pleasurable to you? What makes you satisfied? So the teachings, the the toltec teaching, They're meant to be applied. You know, if you only study them just to have a concept, you you won't know what really is is behind the taste of it or the, the experience of it. The only way to know it is to put it into practice and life becomes the teacher. And that really is it. Letting life be the teacher of every lesson I experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. That is great.
0: Yeah. And there's also there's humility in that, too. Like knowing what you don't know. I'm a very big fan of people finding a comfortable space inside of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, Miguel, I was looking at your book and I liked how you had some suggestions about how to read this newest book that you've published. And you said something about let the wisdom choose you. And I love that. Callie gave me this little book called You Are Doing a Freaking Great Job. It's like all these little affirmations. <laughs> in.: title. Yeah, and it's a little book we leave in the studio. And sometimes I'll just plop it open to whatever page, and then that's the affirm- affirmation for the show. So it sounds like, and I do that with other spiritual books or books in general sometimes. So can you just tell us how you, know, you realize for yourself that that's a good idea to just let the wisdom choose you?
3: Well, yeah, because uh, like the Four Agreements, when you read it, every time you read it, it looks different because you're in a totally different space. With this little book, it's a collection of 20 years of recordings uh, that we just pick and, uh, picked, you know, we just grabbed it. You know, that's the nice thing about this, we grab a, a teaching, and normally in a book you grab a, a, a lesson, and then you have to explain the lesson. You know, that you can, you have to explain why don't take things personal. You have to ex- explain why not to take uh, not to make assumptions, this one you give the lesson and you process the meaning of it and seeing it reflecting in your own life it 's like you you give the lesson the little simple lesson, a paragraph or two, and then see how that is relevant in your life yeah and that's that 's exactly it you're the one giving it a meaning because it stops being. Our book, the moment you do that, because it now it's just your experience of it that means something. For example, uh, at the end of the book, I have four stories, or of five, of, of lessons that I learned from my father hands on, and all of them are really basically him setting up the scenario and then me figuring it out from the scenario, from the experience. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the book is exactly in the same way it sets up the scenario. Then you take the experience, and the experience will teach you. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's great.
0: So, in our remaining moments, Miguel, um, as we like to offer our listeners takeaways and pieces of applicable knowledge, especially from our from our guests, um, what could you offer? Maybe you know one or two ideas that could help people lead them to kind of break out of their own constructs or live their most authentic life, find their truth, etc. It's a loaded question.
3: In the form of in the form of a question, just ask yourself what your next, what do you want your next ten years to look like, and answer it not from I have to, but from I want to. Yeah. What do I want to create? What do I want to experience? You know, when we've, we're so busy living life from someone else's point of view, or, or at least to some degree of that we be, we begin to lose confidence in ourselves to make a choice for ourselves because we don't know what makes us happy so what makes you happy what are the things in life that you enjoy look at the little things i'm 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 thinking of the movie amelie here you know how she mm-hmm. there's a segment where she describes how she enjoys skipping rocks in a pond how she enjoys the texture mm-hmm. of putting her hands through uh beans and legumes she calls them and those little, those little things that make you feel happy to be alive. Well, what are those little things in your life? What are the things that you enjoy? What is it about a bath that you enjoy, or your favorite meal, or your favorite music? What is it about that? And then, little by little, allow yourself to enjoy it. Don't forget about what you look like or whatnot. What if, what does it feel like to you to enjoy that little thing that? pleasure in life then little by little you find what you like and then little by little you translate that to other things to the point where you answer the question what do I want my 30s to look like or in my case what do I want my 40s to look like and when I was 28 it's it's family I wanted the experience of holding my my children in my arms and holding my wife in my arms and being there for it now in my 40s I would say my, my, my pleasure is to experience the teenagers that are, are walking around my, my house. <laughs> they're, they're, they're 11 and 9, and I'm in the precipice of those teenage years. I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going to enjoy them watching them blossom, and in my professional career where I'm doing it, I'm, I'm going to enjoy seeing the evolution of my teachings, whether it be in writing be it in lecturing or even just start taking apprentices if I decide to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the wave. I I often describe the image of a surfer. I was born and raised in San Diego, California. So for me, the image of a surfboard is the thing that allows me to enjoy life. Life is the wave. And the surfboard is the intent that I use to navigate that wave. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's so great. I just love how you keep bringing it back to using our imagination, imagining what we want in life, and then taking the actions to to create that. So, unfortunately, we're getting to the end of the show. So, Miguel, how can people find your book, or how can they find out more information about you?
3: Sure, thanks. Well, my my book, I'm lucky to say that you can find it in most bookstores uh, and and online as well, Barnes & Noble and uh, the Little Independent Bookstores. Uh, But to find me, you'll find me on my little website, MiguelRuizJr.com. That's MiguelRuizJR.com. That's my home base. I have social media and all that, but my website's my home. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the oh, show, Miguel. Goodness. It's been fantastic.
0: Such a gift. Such a oh, gift. You, you and so your much family. Well, I appreciate you've, the
3: opportunity. Yeah.
0: Thank you. you've, you're just you. are such a gift to all that you inspire, and you can sit, continue to do it for for us here in the studio and everybody in the world. So yeah. blessings for that. Yeah. Oh, muchas thank gracias.
1: You. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. It's fantastic. So uh, with that, we're getting to the end of the show. Next week, we have a great guest on. Callie who's our guest and
0: our highly vibrational guest series um psychic medium John Edward joins us next week and it's going to be a fun out of the box conversation um about the state of the world all the energetic shifts that are happening he's got some really interesting insights um so uh, to share so we're excited about that
1: yeah so again Miguel thanks for being on the show everybody thanks for listening take care y'all have
3: fun